Marriage Beyond Love. Uh, what we've discovered, I've, I found a study a few years ago from Psychology Today that trust is the number one predictor of success in relationships. If your relationships that you have, that you desire to have in your marriage, your family, maybe other relationships that you have in coworkers or neighborhoods or in your church family, if you want to have a successful relationship with others, trust is the number one predictor of that. I think it's an essential part of having good relationships together. Meg and I have certainly discovered that in our marriage. What I would say is that our marriage relationship, what love does, putting on those actions of love for being able to stay together, trust does for thriving together. Friend of the relationship that thrives together, that seeks uh, the best that God has for us in our marriage relationships. I think trust is an essential part of that. I told you again uh, recently that I've worked in HR for years in some management areas of life action before I began traveling on the road. Uh, one of the guys that I looked to for some expert advice on this was a guy named Stephen Covey. Again, I don't always believe in taking business principles and applying them to our lives, but I think sometimes they do find ways and have insights into our relationships that are beneficial for us. Here's what he has to say about trust. Trust is the glue of life. It's the most essential ingredient in effective communication. It's the foundational principle that holds all relationships. Okay, pretty big, powerful statements built into this. It's the glue of life, the most essential ingredient in effective communication. We know how important communication is in our marriages, in our families, in good relationships. It's foundational principle that holds all relationships together. So I think it's important to have this idea, this mindset of trust in our relationships when we move forward here this evening. Here's a definition I found of trust. Firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability or strength of someone or something. Okay, if you're gonna to learn to trust something, you gotta have a firm belief that they're reliable, that they're truthful, that they have ability or strength to be able to do what it is that you need them to do in those situations. So in this definition, I find that trust is really built on these two things, our expectations and our reality. Okay, when we come into all of our uh, relationships, particularly marriage, but any really relationship that we have, uh, we begin with these set of expectations, the ways that we anticipate we'll need to behave in any given situation, and then the reality of what actually happens. Okay, so Maggie and I entered our marriage relationship with a set of expectations for how we would behave in our relationship. We actually uh, did some of that uh, through our premarital counseling, but even officially during our wedding ceremony with our vows, right? During our vows, we say something like this, I, Brent, take you, Maggie, to be my lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, until death do us part, right? I've set a standard of expectations for how I will operate, for how we'll operate together in this marriage relationship. Now, I'm thankful that in all of the ways that we interact in our relationship, that we didn't have to give a vow on our wedding day of every situation that we'd come across, okay? Weddings are long enough as they are already, okay? So I'm glad that in our marriage relationship, we didn't have the opportunity or the chance to be able to communicate all those things because we would still be going through a marriage ceremony right now trying to communicate all the expectations of the things that we would face in our married life. But we do have some other examples of what we would have looked like because, again, these ideas that are uh, vows, the expectations that we have coming into marriage, whether they're things that we actually communicated or things that we actually felt like should be done, actually begin to break down over time and we have a reality situation that occurs. Maggie, coming up here, we're gonna share uh, some of what our realistic life vows should have looked like, okay? If we had been honest on our wedding day um, and shared what these vows, what our expectations were, here's some things uh, that you may be able to relate to of what some vows that we should have probably, probably made, all right? I'm gonna start. I promise to leave my dirty dishes on the table. 
I promise to forget my cell phone when we leave the house. Or your wallet tonight when you're going shopping with a team member, yeah. Thankfully, my team member had some cash, more cash than I carry around, yeah. so well, we were good. I, I paid her back because I okay. carried my Thank wallet you. with me. Yeah, Thank right. you. I promise to leave my clothes on the floor until the next time I wear them. <laughs> well, I promise to get bleach spots on your favorite shirt. I also promise to move your keys to places that you would never even look. It's all right. I promise to leave the trash for you to take out once it's overflowing and spilling onto the floor. I promise to never follow a recipe twice. Therefore, I can never make your favorite dish again. Not a problem at all because I promise to suggest improvements to your cooking before, during, and after each meal. You're supposed to be booing, not, la not laughing. Because they can relate. That's why they're laughing, yeah. Oh, I always want to say, I promise to just start making fish sticks. Um, keep it easy. I don't mind fish sticks. Yeah, they're pretty good, actually. Um, I promise to spend money on things we didn't discuss just because it felt pretty good at the moment. That's okay. I promise to commit to begin house projects this weekend and complete them three years later. True story. Or ten years later <laughs> probably would be, would be better, yeah. I promise to do things that will be completely different than the way your family does them. That's right. I promise to tell you I'll be home from work at 5 o'clock and walk in the door at 6.15. Well, I promise to be wearing my best pajamas when you leave from work for work and when you get home for work. That's true. Well, speaking of uh, sleeping, I promise to snore really loudly for most of the night every single night. I promise to turn the heat down so your feet will turn to ice. No problem. I promise to put my icy feet on you while you're trying to fall asleep. I promise to call you once a week asking for directions to the, to the store that we shop at because I kind of got lost again. That's all right. When we're driving to the store and I'm driving, I just promise to drive in a way that makes you nervous. Yep. <laughs> Especially when we're riding in a semi. This is true. Yeah. I'll, I can't promise not to cuss, but I, pro I will try. Yeah. <clears throat> I promise to leave. No, this is mine. Oh, I yeah. promise. I, I do promise to leave bills laying around in random places. And I promise to throw those bills away because they didn't really look that important. It's all right. I promise to forget to pay the bills because I couldn't find them. <laughs> uh, and I promise to remind you how much life savings we could have had if you just would have paid the bills. Yeah. I'm an accountant. The, the interest <laughs> fees were not that high. Yeah. No. I promise to be insecure because of your female coworkers. I promise to be insensitive to your needs. I promise to tell embarrassing stories of you on Facebook because I thought it was pretty funny. I did not think they were very funny. Yep. I deleted it right after that. That's good. Yep. I promise to make unkind remarks about you around our friends. I promise to pester you until you do exactly what I want. No problem because I promise to block you out until you do it yourself. Yep. So there's some just uh, humorous stories, again, from real-life examples of ways that we have had expectations that we brought into our marriage relationship, and then a reality that was different than that. The reality of trust is it begins with this idea of it built on expectations, things that we expect each other to behave and how we tend to interact with each other, sometimes based on uh, real things that we committed, other times based on fantasies of how we expect our spouse to behave in our marriage relationship, expectations that are unreasonable. Sometimes we have wrong expectations that we bring in our marriage because of past hurts or past things that we viewed from our family that we expect to go wrong for us that also cause trust to break down pretty quickly. And then we also know that sometimes in life there's a problem that exists that our expectations just don't live out to our reality. 
I love what Paul says to this. Again, throughout uh, all the books that Paul wrote in the Bible, incredibly honest, brutally honest guy about himself, about what he sees in his life and those around him. He says this in Romans 7.15. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. See, the reality is no matter how much our good intentions are, our good expectations that we set in our marriage relationships before marriage and during our marriage ceremony, even in the early years, there are going to be points in time in our relationships where with each other we actually don't do the things that we want to do, but we do the opposite, the very things that we hate. These realities don't begin to line up to our expectations and our trust breaks down really quickly. The second problem with this is that our reality actually carries more weight than our expectations in our trust relationships. What we actually do matters way, way more significantly in our ability to interact, to thrive together, to trust one another than what it is that we've communicated on how we behave. Actions really do speak louder than words. So what do we do with this idea that trust uh, has this problem? I start with a set of expectations. Maggie starts with a set of expectations. Then there's things that I do that are outside those expectations, things she does outside those expectations. As you can see there, there's very little overlap in areas where we can trust one another. Maybe that's why Isaac Watts, the great hymn writer, once said this, that learning to trust is one of life's most difficult tasks. Of all the things that we can strive for and work for, I learned, uh, we've learned that trusting one another is one of the hardest things to do. Not just with each other, but with our kids, having to help them to learn to trust us. The people that we interact with, the people that we travel with on this team, trust is so important, so vital to our relationships, but it's so, so very difficult. So difficult that it's worth fighting for. Now, we shared with you a few of our stories of, of funny things that kind of uh, we made vows that could have been done differently, uh, should have been done differently to set this right, expectations of what was actually going to happen. But we want to share a few uh, practical stories of ways that we've learned to uh, had to work through when we've broken trust with one another. Some small ways that over time really uh, created a pretty big uh, gap in our relationship. And then some big ways that even a short moment really has broken down some trust. So, Maggie, why don't you start sharing kind of a small way that over time began to erode some trust in our relationship. So um, when we were first married, it took me a little while to, to remember that um, I, I didn't have my own money anymore. It was like our money. And in my single days, I had a really great job. And so I just, I didn't ever even thought about money. I just spent it, you know. And I actually remember walking around the store, like going, now what can I get? Like, I still have money. I don't understand <laughs> that mindset at all. So, um, so when we entered into marriage, we we're trying to set up what it looks like to share income, and uh, we decided, and this may be, sound kind of ridiculous, but it worked for us. We're like, okay, so just so that we can trust each other, um, how about if we'll set a limit? So let's say 50 bucks. If, if you're going to spend, and I know that's not very much, but we didn't have very much, so we still kind of do this, but um, if you go over 50 bucks, just call me and be like, hey, do you mind if I buy this? Like, I've been thinking about this for a while. And um, that way, if we don't blow each other away, all of a sudden you come home and there's Amazon box at your doorstep. And you're like, whoa, you didn't tell me about that. So um, I was going, we had talked about this, and um, I went to Lowe's one day. And I'm kind of, honestly, I'm like an old granny lady when it comes to plants. And I love plants. They are like medicine to me. And uh, so I love going to Lowe's on the clearance section. It's like 75% off, so they're basically free. I'm an accountant. Yeah. 75% off is not free. No. And um, Brent, uh, we had also learned that I, I should have a plan. Um, if I'm going to buy plants, it's fine. Just Let's just have a plan for the yard instead of just buying plants. And so I had this plan in my head, and I went to Lowe's, and this sweet old granny lady, she's loading up her basket, and I'm like, 
I want to load up my basket. And, um, but I remembered, oh, yeah, I needed to call Brent and tell him I'm thinking about getting these bushes for the yard. So I call him, like, babe, I've been thinking about the side of our yard. I've got this landscaping plan, and, and there's some bushes here. They're 75% off, so I'm going to buy some. And he's like, okay, what, like, about how much? I'm like, you know, like 50 bucks. He's like, okay. And so um, loading it up. And she's the little granny. She keeps loading up her basket. And I'm like, they're basically free. So I keep loading my basket. And I'm like, I like that plant too. So I did, before I know, I had a really big basket of plants. And uh, I go to the checkout. And I remember thinking, I don't think this is $50. But I'm like, it's plants. It's not like cats. Like, I'm not bringing home cats, you know. I'm bringing <laughs> that, home plants. <laughs> that would have been a big problem. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So I get home. And um, I start unloading them, and I realize, wow, I, oh, shoot, I did it again. Like, I, I went over, and I'm, so what I did to make it look better is I just started spreading them out um, in the yard. But when Brent caught. <laughs> I'm an accountant. I counted every single one of those plants. You better he believe it. He gets home from work for lunch, and he steps out, and he's like, that's more than what you said. And so um, that's just one kind of silly example, but a, a truly honest example of how over time with finances, when I just like blow it off, it really, it really was eroding trust. So my uh, small way, I, again, we shared some of this in the story, but there would be a lot of times where I would uh, have good intentions of coming home at 5 o'clock when my official end of the work time was, but I had a project I was working on or something I was working through, um, and I forgot to communicate because I was busy. My mind was fixated on that. I uh, forgot to pay attention to the time and to communicate, Maggie, what time I'd be home, and I would walk in the door at, at, at 5.30 and then 5.45 and then 6 and 6.15, always with good intentions. And then I realized uh, pretty quickly in one of those encounters that when I got home at 5 and expected this really great welcome that Maggie was uh, more shocked and um, said, I just don't expect you to be here at this time because uh, you've not typically demonstrated that, that behavior. So we had to evaluate that and re rework through some of those things because there was an expectation set of what time I'd be home and I was not communicating when that expectation changed and we had to work through that and get on the same page about that. Now I don't have a fixed schedule, so it's still a point of conflict for us sometimes. There's always opportunities to be in and out of the trailer, people that need conversations or need something from us. So it's something that we're still working working on together, but rebuilding trust in these ways. Uh, Maggie, there was a, that's a small example. Why don't you start with an example of a big way in a moment that really caused uh, some trust to break down pretty quickly. Yeah, so we're going to tell you more, our more embarrassing things because you guys need to know that you're not the only ones that have hard things that you're dealing with. So uh, again, back in my single days, I knew I wanted to get married really bad, but I really wanted to wait for someone who um, loved Jesus and I needed um, them to be good-looking. That was helpful. And I also needed them to think I was good-looking. So those three things didn't add up for a long time. Two out of three ain't <laughs> bad, yeah. <laughs> I'm not so great-looking. That would be the third. And yeah. uh, I was truly committed to someone who would, who would love Jesus, um, which is kind of ironic because in my head, though, I, um, I long for marriage so much. And when I was little, I was exposed to all kinds of immorality. Um, pornography. I mean, my mom was a prostitute. I'm so little bitty. I'm like seeing all kinds of things. So I also struggled all growing up with tons of lust and immorality in here. And, um, and so what would happen was I would just battle all the time. And I ended up, this is embarrassing, but I would end up like falling in love with like married guys. Um, and because they were like Jesus, you know, <laughs> because they were married that made them be like Jesus. So, um, but 
and I would imagine in my mind, like, a life with them, and um, thankfully, I had some accountability in my life, and I would, um, I would talk to people, and I would get freedom, and, and God would show me, like, that is death, um, and thankfully, I never was, I never acted on it, but still, um, and people are like, what's the big deal? It's just in here, but Jesus is really um, obvious. He says, you know, whatever you think in your mind, in your heart, it's the same as doing that. And so um, when we got married, it's bliss, you know, for like a, almost a year. And um, it's great. And all of a sudden, I notice that um, the feelings, they start going away. You know, those little butterflies you get. And um, he's leaving his socks on the floor. And, um, you know, our breath stinks in the morning. <laughs> and just these things, you're like, huh, it's weird. Now you, now you have to actually love like love as in a verb, and um, and so I started getting tempted again in my mind, like, what if, you know, this is not so exciting anymore, but that guy is kind of paying attention to me, and he's exciting, what about him, and there would be a few times when I would fall into that trap again of just a life of living not in reality, but um, entertaining immoral thoughts, and thankfully, God was so quick to be like, Maggie, you remember that that's death. Uh, you know that is a dead-end street. You do not want to go there again. And besides, it's not helping your marriage. And so I would confess those things to Brent um, because I wanted freedom. I wanted out, and I wanted to work on our relationship. But the, the times when I would fall back into that, those, that was a bigger way that I would erode trust. So mine would be um, in a similar vein. Uh, I entered our marriage relationship with an addiction to pornography. And I thought that marriage would be the cure-all, end-all for that, and for a while it was. But over a period of time, there were uh, these continued uh, situations and, and uh, struggles where I would find myself back into that rut again. After a period of, of victory and a period of, of failure again, uh, Maggie stopped me the one day, and she said, Brent, I love you, but I don't trust you. One of the most eye-opening things she's ever said to me, one of the things that's helped me to realize, again, a lot of the truths that we're sharing this week, the ways I've gotten so many things out of whack priority-wise. I had always seen, in light of God's eyes, how wrong that was. I had been working in my relationship with him in these ways, but I did not see the destructive path that was setting for my marriage relationship and the ways that, that was breaking down things really quickly. I couldn't believe she said that to me. I thought scripturally that she was uh, commanded and, and kind of um, required to trust me. What I realized is there's nothing in Scripture that said she's required to do that. Required to love and put on love of Jesus towards me in those ways. But this thing called trust would require real changes on my part. Real steps of action to take to begin to realign those expectations to the right kinds of behaviors. And then the grace that I needed from God to be able to live those things out. We share these things. They're embarrassing for us. They're not things that we publicly like to be able to share. But in the sharing, we find incredible freedom. In the sharing, we find that we're not alone. We know that in this room, there are people that have struggled or maybe are struggling with those things right now. And we want to say there's going to be grace for you given here tonight. Always grace upon grace for these ways. We're going to give you some truths to be able to unpack these things together, to begin walking together through these ways together. Thank you, Mags. We're going to talk here uh, the rest of the night here. How do we actually begin to pick up these pieces? Okay, whether it's a small way over time that trust has been eroded in your relationships or a really big way in a moment or in a few moments, it's began to break down trust, and you're sitting there tonight going, I really find that I don't have this trust in my heart. Some of that, again, stems from things that have actually happened in your relationship. Some of them are ways you don't trust because of stuff that happened way before you even met your spouse or before you've had these relationships with other people. There's ways and things that we can talk through and being able to process these things together. So how do we do? What do we do with this mess that we have here when we have a completely set of different expectations at times, completely different realities and part of that, so little trust 
in the middle. I'm thankful that in these uh, ways, we've got actually uh, not just a thing to look to, a, a thing toward trust to build to, but a person whose example we can look to. Love this verse in Peter, 1 Peter 2, 21 through 22. For to, you, uh, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Christ is always our example, the best example of how we can have good relationships, always looking to Christ. So that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. What I've discovered is this passage is really telling us that Jesus, and we know this, has a perfect set of expectations, right? The perfect way of living that he desires to do and has for all of us, his desires of his heart is always for our best, but also knew no sin, committed no sin, so perfect expectations, perfect reality. Trust is always found in the person of Jesus. As we can continue to commit our ways, our lives, to being more Christ-like, extending the grace and mercy that he extends to us towards one another, but then aligning ourselves to a Christ-like way of living, walking in this perfect holiness and morality as he fills us and shapes us and conforms us to his image, as his Holy Spirit directs us to a more Christ-like lifestyle, we can begin to have a trusting relationship with each other. What are those steps to take? What are the trust-building steps to take? And again, we talked about some of this already, but you first begin to realign your expectations. Again, I share that with the re in there on purpose. Sometimes your expectations have to be aligned for the first time. Because there are situations that you are now facing in your married life, in your family life, that you never anticipated. You did not have a conversation in your premarital counseling or in your wedding vows to say, this is how we'll act in this situation. There's always new things. Every phase of life brings new challenges, new opportunities. So in some ways, it's aligning it for the first time. In other ways, it's realigning back to Christ-centered ways, realigning your expectations. Again, I think you begin doing that this way. By communicating expectations, and I put the acronym up there, HOT, Okay, some of you guys are getting excited now. We're going to talk about exciting things, hot communication. Let's go, right? Okay. Well, here's what this hot communication means. Honest, open, and transparent. Honest, truthful in every matter. Does your spouse have the uh, opportunity to ask you hard questions and you have the freedom to respond truthfully in every matter? Open, no subject is off limits. Do you have the kind of relationship with your spouse or with your kids or whoever it is that you're trying to grow in your trust relationship where they can ask you any questions about any subject at any point in time? Do you have that? That's how trust begins to be formed, how expectations are aligned. And then finally, transfer, transparent, that's conversation that isn't comfortable. And we're finding, Maggie and I are finding, and I'm finding when I'm trying to grow in relationships of building trust with people that the conversations are often not very comfortable. Okay, I like to kind of keep to myself, be pretty private in my conversations, but that's not helping me in this path, this journey of growing uh, towards Maggie and I trusting relationship with her. It's always conversation that isn't comfortable. Second way you do this, and I love this because it unpacks Greg's message from last night and tonight. Second way we do that is we seek and extend forgiveness. Okay, if you are not able to ask somebody to forgive you for the ways that you've broken uh, their trust the ways you've gone against their expectations, they will not be able to trust you. Until you confess that you've done something that was wrong and against the ways that they expected you to behave, you cannot begin to begin a trusting relationship there. And until you learn to extend God's forgiveness, appropriate Christ's forgiveness towards that person, you will never be able to trust them. I've never found one person that says, I trust this person, but I don't forgive them. Forgiveness is the first step in these ways, both seeking and extending it. How do you do that in the midst of really big trials, things that you're facing? Maybe it's issues like Maggie and I shared. Maybe it's an affair that's actually occurred. Maybe it's adultery. Maybe it's things that are um, really uh, painful to talk about. To be able to forgive, how do you walk through that? I think Greg gave you a lot of truths to that last night. But Romans 5.8 is one I always go back to. 
God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When I can remember that when I was at my worst, as a sinner, that Christ still died for me, I can begin to appropriate that forgiveness to Maggie in the areas that we've struggled through and had to work through, to those that I'm trying to build in a trusting relationship with. Maybe you're still going, I just don't know how that's humanly possible. Okay? Jesus is superhuman, right? He's God incarnate. How can I live this out? Then I found this amazing study by this guy, Robert Enright, child family psychologist. He says this, I've never found a particular injustice in the world that I don't know of at least one person who has forgiven those who have perpetrated it. What this is telling me and is telling us is that there's not a situation, a particular injustice that has happened to you or will happen to you or that you'll have to walk through in your relationships that he has not found at least one person able to overcome, I believe, with God's help to be able to extend forgiveness to that situation. That's really good news, right? Really good news. Never found a particular injustice that he has not found at least one person able to forgive those who have perpetrated it. You do not, we do not have an excuse in these ways. And if you want to grow deeper in these relationships, forgiveness is a big key component of that. It's not just realigning your expectations. It's also this. You've got to begin to change your reality. Okay? It's not enough to just say, I'm going to commit to doing better. Those expectations do carry some weight. But as we remember before, the reality, the actions carry so much more weight in these ways, we've got to begin to change our reality. How do you do that? How are we finding our ways ourselves to do that? You begin to remove entry points for temptation. The ways that you find yourself knowing that it's caused uh, hurt feelings, uh, broken expectations, a broken trust in your relationships, you have to remove the entry points that are leading you to do those things. Take away all of those things in your life that are leading you to be, create openings for those things to happen and begin to remove all of those entry points for you. It's really uncomfortable it's really awkward, it's really inconvenient, but I'm telling you that's the first step that we've found to be able to realign these expectations is change your actual reality of how you're going to go out operating differently. How far do you have to take that? Matthew 5, 29 gives us a pretty extreme case here. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Pretty extreme case given here, right? Whatever it takes is going to feel physically painful as you can see here, very inconvenient to lose, right? To right to lose your right eye. Very inconvenient, very painful, but worth it because it's going to save you. It's going to help you build and establish these relationships in a new and beautiful way. If that seems extreme, here's another one from Colossians 3.5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Put to death implies this feeling that it's going to feel physically painful. It's going to feel like death. Because some ways, these temptations, these sins, these failures have become part of your identity. So casting it off is actually going to feel physically painful and like death to you. But I'm telling you, as we discover these truths, as we begin to place these things with a Christ-like way of living, every part of that death is worth it. And the redemption that comes into our lives, the joy and peace that comes in place of that. Second way I think you begin to change your reality is you ask for help. I have discovered, we have discovered that in so many ways we can't do this on our own. That's why we have these open conversations that we talk and communicate about these things. But sometimes your spouse, and depending on how far this goes, depending on where those entry points come, you need other people in your life. Asking for help of somebody to come alongside you, when you see me going this direction, will you ask me the hard questions? Will you stand in my way? Will you come alongside me and encourage me in these ways? And this verse from James, I think, gives us a great picture of this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. 
The prayer of a righteous person has great power at its working. You need a community. You need a church family. That's why I'm thankful that you're here and made a commitment to come and be a part of this. This is not just a session for you to come and attend alone. You're here with your Keystone family together. You need a body of believers, people to come alongside you and say, I need your help. Will you come and help me in these ways that I'm struggling? Will you come alongside me and help me? Changing your reality, again, you remove entry points for temptation and you ask for help. Why, again, is this so difficult? Why do we find ourselves going back to these things no matter how long, uh, no matter how much freedom we think we found, no matter how much help we need? Again, because we're facing this very real um, battle, these temptations. Galatians 5, 17 says this. Desires of the flesh are against the spirit. Desires of spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Your flesh, your humanity is going to keep you from the things that God's spirit inside of you wants to do. A daily, moment-by-moment battle to keep your flesh in check and allow God's spirit to move and work in your lives. A very real battle that you have to face and undergo, but with his help and by the power of his Holy Spirit, you can actually begin to make these changes. And not only to keep you from doing the things you want to do, but to begin to do the things that you want to do and even more than you ever thought or imagined is possible because of God's power inside of you as Christ comes into your life and you ask him for his help. Again, in all of these things, why is this so important? Why would we spend a whole night talking about this thing called trust? Again, we've discovered it's essential for our relationship. We would not be able to live in a church uh, parking lot in a trailer and travel from church to church every week if we did not learn to trust each other in some pretty big ways. There's still small things we're working on, but we've learned to be able to come together and trust one another as we put these things into practice. No matter how big our failures have been, no matter how much we've eroded trust and broken each other's hearts so many times, no matter how many times we've woken up and not felt the feelings towards each other, We've learned to put these things into practice to begin to trust one another that allows us to be a part of conferences like this and to travel together as a family through things we think trust is essential. But then even this uh, quote that I'm going to give you here really paints this picture for me. Uh, if you like C.S. Lewis or um, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, there's a guy named George MacDonald that you should thank. Okay? George MacDonald kind of influenced their writings, uh, was a, a pastor, an Irish pastor. Um, I don't agree with a lot of George MacDonald's theology. Okay? I'm just going to give you a caveat there. Okay? I do agree with what he has to say about trust. Ready? To be trusted is a greater compliment than being loved. The greatest compliment that I can give Maggie is to not say that I love her because biblically I'm required to love her. I'm also biblically required to love my neighbor and my enemies. Okay? That's not a very good compliment technically when you really think about that because that puts her in the category with everybody else. Biblically, I'm not required to trust her though. So when Maggie can tell me or when I can tell her that I trust you or that she trusts me, it's the greatest compliment that we can give to one another, the greatest opportunity you have in your marriage relationships, your parenting, your grandparenting, your relationships with your other family members, or maybe just as a member of this church, is to be able to tell each other that you trust each other. The greatest compliment you can give is that you trusted uh, it's even more than being loved. So here's your life in action challenge for tonight. Before you go to bed tonight, again, I say that every night. Why before you go to bed? Because you'll forget about it, okay? We're human, we're gonna forget, life's gonna get busy again tomorrow, even on our Sabbath day, okay, we're not meeting tomorrow night, no meetings here on Friday, but you're gonna forget about it if you don't begin to put these things into place right now. Here's your two life in action challenges for tonight. Ask yourself this question, is there any area in my marriage where I've broken trust? What steps do I need to take? Now, if you're in the room and you're not married, you can think about other relationships that God has given you. If you are married, you can begin to think about family relationships as well. Is there any area in these relationships that I want to grow in that I uh, have broken trust? What steps do I need to take? Believing that this is a two-sided coin, right? It's not just what steps you need to do of things that you've broken. Here's the second piece. 
Is there any area in my marriage or relationships where I'm not trusting? What steps do I need to take? Believing that some of the reasons you're not trusting is actually things going on inside of you, not because of anything that this other person has done. You came into your marriage relationship or these relationships with a set of expectations that was completely unreasonable. You came in not trusting your spouse because of things that have happened in your past or because of things that happened in their past and you just entered those things. You need to begin to change your expectations and realign those mindsets in those ways. Ask yourself, what ways have I broken trust and what do I need to take to do repair that? What are the areas where I'm not trusting and what steps do I need to take as well?